Hello, and welcome to the Heathen's Journey podcast. I'm your host, Abby Pluff, and I'm so glad you're here. This is the show where I explore inclusive heathenry as a queer woman. We will be talking about traditional witchcraft, runes, folklore, and so much more. Join us, won't you, as we journey to the ends of the Nine Realms and back. Welcome back to the Heathen's Journey podcast. I am so excited to have my first interview for you today. So this interview is with Kari Toring. She is one of my teachers here locally. Um, She is a professional musician, a vulva, um, general heathen uh, goodness. She talks a lot about um, concepts of warlog and weird. And in this episode, we talk a lot about um, Frith and Grith. Um, and the what she refers to as the garden gates. Uh, Frith and Grith are two concepts that are often kind of like used in heathenry to kind of create an other. And Kari pretty quickly breaks it down, and it's more so about like how do we personally set boundaries for what we allow in our lives. I know a lot of us radicals really struggle with boundary setting, and I think that this uh, the tools of Frith and Grith are very helpful for learning to set your own boundaries. So I look forward to this conversation. I also do, just briefly, before we get into the interview, want to apologize for the audio quality of this interview. Um, I was recording via Zoom, and I think that my internet was having some issues. It was cutting in and out a bit. And so there were times where um, some of the words get a little choppy. I did try to work some editing magic, but uh, unfortunately you will probably still have that as an issue with the audio. So um, again, I apologize. I'm still very new to the world of podcasting. So I hope that you give me some grace with the audio quality. And I hope to figure out a better system in the future for uh, recording interviews via distance. All right, so um, without further ado, we're going to take a quick ad break and then we're going to dive straight into the interview. All right, see you after the break. Well, Kari, welcome to the podcast. How are you doing this morning? Very well, thanks, and thanks for having me. Yeah, I'm so glad to have you. So um, why don't you take a moment to introduce yourself for our listeners? Well, my name is Kari Tauring, Kari Tauring, and I grew up in uh, Minnesota uh, with the Norwegian-American identity from my mother's root, and then spent summers in the farm in Wisconsin with my Norwegian grandmother and cousins and second cousins. We have a really huge sort of ethnic family enclave that um, gets together constantly. Um, And I began studying the pre-Christian roots of our folk culture in 1988 um, when my English professor introduced me to the runes and in a linguistics class. 
Yeah. How did that go? Tell that story. <laughs> Shall I? It was actually really pretty funny. Um, so Dr. Luann Dummer, who um, has since passed, uh, she was very excited. She knew that I was very into alternative spirituality. I was also a theology minor and a philosophy major and an English major. And she knew I was um, into my heritage and all of that kind of thing. So she says, oh, you're really going to love the lecture today. And I was like, all right, because, you know, linguistics can be pretty uh, bogging down, you know. <laughs> So I, um, there I was sitting and she's like, blah, 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 the Indo-European language root system and blah, 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 they're scripturalized as the runes. And she looked at me like I should be able to pretty much pick up the lecture and run with it from there. And I just stared blankly at her and I, I shrugged and I'm like, I don't know what the runes are. And she says, <laughs> you don't know about the runes? Well, that's your heritage. I thought you were into your heritage and your spirituality and all that stuff. And I was like, geez. So I, um, I went to uh, visit with uh, visiting my grandmother on the weekend and my mom and my grandma and I were sitting in her dining room on the farm, in the farmhouse. And I said, so grandma, why don't we know about the runes? That's our heritage. And grandma looked at me a little quizzically and she's like, wow, that's pretty old stuff, Kari. And, you know, it's pre-Christian. <laughs> and I just sort of looked her in the eye and I said, there were pre-Christian Norwegians? You know, <laughs> she, she just started laughing at me and my mom was like, yeah, we were Catholics too, you know? And I was like, no, my, my whole Lutheran brain was just sort of exploding. You know, because you hear about the pre-Christian traditions of Celtic people, and Greek peoples, and all of these other things, but you, you really don't think, I never ever thought about myself as having a deep pre-Christian root. So this is where I began studying the runes and the Eddas and the sagas, and, the, um, and this is what I called peeking under the lefsa, which... <laughs> When you're from Minnesota, you know what that means. But for those of you who might not know what lefse is, it's a, it's a flat potato sort of uh, tortilla type thing made with uh, riced potatoes. And in my family, you eat it with um, butter and sugar. And that is it. And I have never liked the taste of potato lefse with butter and sugar, which I hid from my family thinking it made me not a uh, good Norwegian. That was sort of the start of this thing in the late 80s of, of trying to get resources to study those pieces. And of course, most of the books on the runes at the time were written either by you know, Lisa Peschel or Edred Thorson through Llewellyn. And they were all in the occult section. And I'm like, oh, no wonder grandma doesn't have any of these. <laughs> right. Know? Because the other layer of my identity was so thoroughly Lutheran that it didn't occur to me that there was anything but Lutheran Norwegians forever and ever. So there it is. <laughs> so fast forward to today when you are a professional vulva. Mm. Um, you teach uh, Norwegian folk music and dance professionally. Um, you teach courses on runes, um, and you're a very well-respected teacher here in the Twin Cities area. 
Oh, thank you so much. Yeah, you know, I began combining the runes and mythology and then the Norwegian folk music and dance in 2003. And this is the year that I literally picked up the staff. I began to use the staff, a wooden staff and wooden stick called a stav and a tain or a tine, depending on which side of the fjord you're on. And, um, and this use of staff and st stick for making rhythm for the runes uh, song for um, journeying. This became known as starving. And um, I began to teach that in uh, the Twin Cities. Many of my contemporaries were like, what are you doing? That is really cool. So we just started to, um, I started to teach what I was learning and the Volvestav manual um, was was published in I, I published my first rune book in 2007 and the Volvestav manual in 2010 and those were both uh, the rune book was something that I sort of wrote under duress because friends wanted it <laughs> right but the I'm like why there's so many books they're like yeah but not yours so and that has been since re-released in 2016 with a more with some more in-depth stuff but um but the Volvestav manual was really written just for my teaching in the Twin Cities I I did not expect it to uh I did not expect it to to become something that people from all over the country and in fact in um Scandinavia as well that people were uh, downloading it and, and starting to to work with my techniques um, that really uh, sort of surprised me quite a lot. So since then, uh, uh, I began to do a lot of traveling more widely. Um, you know, the, that, that moment when the runes and my musical life came together was really profound in 2003. Um, because I've been doing pro music professionally since the mid, you know, early nineties. Um, but the runes and the music had never really dovetailed until just this moment when I was using Stav and Tain and uh, this hardanger fiddle player, Karen Solgard was, um, was playing her, the trancey, uh, people don't know what hard on her fiddle is. It's a Norwegian national instrument and it's like a fiddle, but it has some uh, sympathetic strings underneath the fingerboard that, um, that resonate and, and create this amazing trance-like, trance-inducing sound. And I realized at that moment that I was going to need to, you know, Karen said to me, you know, Kai, I really like all this, you know, deep spiritual work you've done, but you're never going to really understand the, uh, the deep spirit of your people until you can sing their songs and dance their dances. Mm -hmm. you know, and it, it just gave me the chills. And I thought, well, shoot, <laughs> now what do I do? Because now that's like a whole, that's a whole study. It's a whole immersive study. So I began immersing and uh, she gave me lots of resources. I did a project called the Huldra project. And the Huldra are these um, cow-tailed fairy 
ladies that that uh, abound in Norse uh, and Scandinavian folklore, and then studying the Sharinga, the Sharing, these uh, honored ladies from folk songs that are always doing magic, magical things. So yeah. the intersection of the folk, the con more contemporary folk uh, manifestation of my culture and the ancient roots that they came from is what I have been um, working with, mending uh, where there are broken threads. I'm able to spin something uh, authentic from the root, um, which is something that has given my work um, you know, a lot of interest broadly, you know, it's, it's authentic, authentic voice and resonance in the folk culture. Yeah. And it feels, um, very different from a lot of, for example, like a that I've come across, like what we do here in Minnesota is much more deeply connected to like the, uh, Norwegian American immigrant experience. Mm. And, yes. uh, and I don't want to get, uh, I don't mean to get Norwegian centric either because we Finns and Finns and, but we, yeah, 800,000 Norwegians moved to Minnesota during the romantic period when these folk tales and folk stories were really starting to emerge out of um, the Norwegian culture particularly but all over um, all over the place and of course alongside that emergence of folk culture you know some was some of it was used to um, bolster the national identity of Norway as a as a, a newly free country from uh, Danish and, and Swedish rule over 400 years of occupation and then some of it throughout the rest of, of Europe was um, surfaced in order to promote ideologies that are not consistent with pre-Christian, what we know of our pre-Christian ancestry, uh, such as white supremacy and, and uh, Nazi ideology. Yeah. Um, and so we're doing a lot of work locally to heal, um, to heal that, uh, to move beyond, you know, like, oh, the, you know, Norwegian uh, folk traditions or Germanic folk traditions, um, you know, support this because they genuinely don't. The deeper right. you look, the more I find it just, they don't support white supremacy. <laughs> right. Yep. That was really something that came up out of an injured uh, cultural psyche. Um, after Germany's uh, really difficult defeat in World War I, the entire psyche of the country had been, um, after Germany's defeat in World War I, the entire country's psyche was, um, was shattered. And, you know, I think it's really the fault of the rest of, of Europe in many ways, because had they actually supported Germany in rebuilding, they might have been able to bolster the psyche of the culture so that um, the ideology of, of no, we're actually the greatest may never have 
been while it was it was probably would have arisen it might not have been so readily felt as a balm of healing it might have been seen for what it was which is an aberration of what it means to be human right it's uh kind of goes back to that saying hurt people hurt people yeah yeah uh, and so we do a lot of work here in in the Twin Cities and in Minnesota in general, trying to uh, teach on, around and heal around the hurt or log of of our individual family of origin um, threads of or log, you know, threads of of our family of origin um, stories, histories, and um, you know, uh, the cultural trauma that we have both inherited and have perpetuated in our orlogs. So, so that's a, a wonderful thing that comes out of our uh, heathen culture here in, in uh, Minnesota. Yeah. So I want to circle back because we, uh, we tend to have very spiralic conversations, which is great. Um, but I want to circle back just to talk about, you know, so you are a professional vulva and a lot of people who are maybe just starting out into heathenry um, or who have only really looked at it from certain angles uh, may not know what a vulva is. So what do we know about the vulva? How do you define yourself as a vulva? And what do we know about the vulva from folklore and mythology? Right. Well, <clears throat> a vulva, the word itself means a staff carrying woman. And it is a gender specific term. Um, and it is the way of um, the vulva is um, the carries the historical precedence of people and communities, both individual people and communities. Uh, and uh, sometimes the vulva uh, prophesies on uh, specific uh, uh, people's urlog or community uh, urlog. And that is something um, that really should be talked about as well, because in Old Norse, there was not a future tense. And so prophecy in and of itself wasn't so much about telling the future as it was about remembering past precedents and uh, remembering the and seeing what um, people are doing with that information and making predictions about how things uh, based on that will are likely to turn out what we know about the vulva comes from the eddas and sagas edda means great grandmother in old norse and um, is the name for the collection of oral traditional poems that were preserved in Iceland. And the first poem of the great grandmother's poetry is the Volu Spol, which means the prophecy of the staff carrying woman. And the first thing that the prophet that the <clears throat> staff carrying woman says is Thiospidek Allar, quiet down everyone. Helga Kindish, all of you sacred 
people, the highest and lowest kin of Heimdall. So this, this first line tells us <clears throat> so much um, about who this Bolva is. She's part of the eight of Heimdallr. She's uh, part of the family origin unit of, of, of Heimdall. And she's addressing Odin, who is, uh, she sees as separate from that piece. Um, so there's, a, there's, there's so much uh, rich material. Um, and then we have uh, the other sort of most famous volur of, uh, volur is plural, um, of the, uh, what people usually think of is comes from Eric the Red Saga, and that would be Thorbjörg, who is um, the Volva in Greenland, who comes uh, visiting different farmsteads. Um, so the first Volva gets woken up from probably her grave mound by Odin to inquire about his Urlag. And the second Volva is a living woman who is the last of nine sisters uh, and who uh, visits different towns. And this uh, Volva teaches us a little bit about how to set up ceremony and what the community is responsible for in regard to the invitation of having a Volva come. And I think that's part of the difficulty maybe in uh, modern culture is um, we don't have uh, funding as kindreds and communities of heathenry don't necessarily have funding to um, or ways of um, bringing a professional vulva in uh, on a regular basis. The way the way we used to, but um, when uh, so in 2010, I was invited to um, attend a gathering. Um, actually, it was in 2009. I attended my first gathering of practicing heathens throughout the Midwest in this uh, great big uh, festival, which also included a thing or a, a parliament council. And as the community uh, was forming ideas about who should be included in the leadership, um, they began to say, well, only leaders of more than one forming a family or kindred would be included to prevent individual heathens from all over the Midwest to just be coming and occupying the time uh, for, because the, the council was really about how do we support different um, kindreds, different uh, quote unquote tribes, uh, different um, groups of heathens. And so um, one of my questions was how does a vulva fit in to this? Um, because in Minnesota, we have defined the vulva as somebody who does not align with or commit to a kindred or group. We are oathed to our own personal urlog and to the norns as keepers of the community weird, which is the web of weird that um, is based on community interaction, uh, different urlogs coming together to create uh, weird. And so it's precisely this impartiality that that's required in order to serve as a vulva for the broader community. So, um, you know, if we're 
to hold the staff in a broad professional way, we need to have the confidence of the broader community that we won't favor anyone above anyone else, that we will hear with impartiality. Uh, you know, so my work in boundary setting and communication was really paramount to the decision by unanimous vote that I would represent the attending heathen communities from around the Midwest as a vulva. I have, um, you know, worked uh, diligently to create um, Nordically rooted boundary setting and communication uh, tools. So even so, though I had been teaching and leading groups in Volvastav, which is my um, what I've called my own personal study, the staff carrier's staff, what it means to me. For over five years, this was the first time, you know, maybe even in the history of the United States or maybe even in the history of the world that a large gathering of individual kindreds and family groups uh, ever voted to keep a professional vulva. I don't know where this may have ever happened before. So then in the following five years, we honored the uh, role in the larger community through needs expressed by the community. And one thing we were not able to accomplish was creating a, that funding source for me to travel and visit the individual kindreds that I was serving, though we did use conference calls and that sort of thing. But some individual kindreds did some fundraising to have me come and teach. Uh, the tools and teach meditation and deepen uh, the knowledge roots with the dance and the song, which is part of uh, also true that is lacking um, for the most part. And um, so I was able so some kindreds uh, funded me through other festivals that I would perform at that would then pay me and then I would do work for the kindred. So pagan prides around the country, Shroth several times, different Scandinavian festivals. Uh, and then, uh, so I, I've traveled around the country from Mississippi to Michigan, Portland, Oregon to Portland, Maine, and even Norway, Finland, and Sweden over the last 10 years. Uh, so now in 2020, um, I have a guild of eight women locally. Uh, three, let's see, two are in Wisconsin and the rest are in Minnesota. And we, these are women who practice vulva style personally and professionally. And uh, the bulk of my teaching is, has of course gone online through Need Fire Wellness and Academy uh, out, of, out of Portland, Maine. And then my own culture center here in Minneapolis, Norway House, has been, um, you know, uh, videoing me and my Nordic root classes and, and things. So that's something uh, all your listeners can tap into. And then I have uh, recordings, two books, an iPhone app, all sorts of free video lectures, you know. Um, and then I take on, I, I do take a few one-on-one -on -one students, but uh, not, not too many uh, of them. So, yeah. Yeah, that's wonderful. Um, <laughs> such a rich like tapestry of work. Um, so you. your first recommendation for people who want to work with you 
um, whether that's uh, one-on-one, like you said, you don't take on too many one-on-one students or just kind of within, you know, the other classes that you teach is for you to take your Frith and Griff class. So you do have your Frith and Griff class online through Need Fire Wellness and Academy, although I know that when we're not quarantining, um, <laughs> you do teach it uh, locally here. Um, but let's kind of talk about what these concepts are. Sure. Frith, what is Griff? Frith is um, a goddess whose name means peace. And she is one of the nine sisters who sit with Menglot on the mountain of medicine, uh, who is named in the Svipdag Small. So the Svipdag Small is part of the Elder Eddas. And while we only have a name of each of these goddesses, the names that they carry speak deeply is in their roles as healing goddesses. So Frith also, uh, 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 Frith or Frid, um, depending on if you're going to anglicize or scandalize, scandal, <laughs> scandalize, <laughs> the scandalize. scandalize that to Frid, um, means uh, peace in, the, in Norwegian, for example. And um, so uh, she is the goddess who protects our deep in-guard. Uh, so what is the in-guard, you might? <laughs> so listeners might want to get a piece of paper and uh, kind of follow along with us if they want to. Draw a small circle and then a, a larger circle around that, sort of like a target. So guard means fence or enclosure and is the root word of garden. It also means farm in Norwegian. So think of an old farmstead. There's the house in the center and a little picket fence around the house. And this is the frith guard of the in guard of the inside the, the fence, whose key word is always. So when I think of my life uh, in summertime on the farm, what are the always of my grandmother's frith guard? You always take off your barn boots before entering. You always uh, behave well in the house, no rough housing, uh, that kind of thing. So there's, there's this sort of central space. And in the body, I talk about the frith guard as, as starting from the heart center out to the elbows. So you place your heart, your hands on your heart, and you hold your elbows out like little tiny wings. Think you think of doing the chicken dance. <laughs> and from that out to your elbows is your frisk guard. So think about who are people that you always allow inside that space, or things that you always allowed inside your your frisk guard words or deeds, for example. So then uh, outside the Frithgard gate, there are the barns and other outbuildings and the, the closest fields. And there's a fence around all of it from the gate of the picket fence around the Frithgard to the gate around the full farm enclosure is called the Griss guard. 
And Grith is a giantess whose name means truce. And the key phrase for this area is by invitation only. So it is by invitation only that we might open the gate for visitors or by invitation that we can roughhouse. So grandma says, you know, you kids take it out, take it outside, you know. So everything then outside of the Grith enclosure is what we call Utgard or outside of the fence. And the key word for Utgard is never. Things we never allow onto our farmstead. And in terms of the farm, that might be something like hunters, you know, um, there's all, uh, you can see a lot of no, no trespassing, no hunting signs on, on the edges of people's farmsteads because they don't want their dogs or cattle uh, being shot uh, by mistake. Or possibly wild crafters, some people who might be coming onto your property to um, pick uh, certain herbs or something that you might be already uh, tending and, and ready to, you know, to, uh, to use for your own purposes. They have to obtain permission to enter the Grithgard. And so the Grithgard in the body goes then uh, from the heart space to the fingers. So you, you, you've got your Frithgard to your elbow and then you extend out to your fingertips. And this uh, is you generally is um, a yard. It's about the size of a yardstick. And if everybody keeps themselves a yard from everyone else, you will have what we call this physical distancing uh, norm that we are trying to promote with uh, two yards between people or six feet, my three feet and your three feet. And this is what I've been calling the Nordic norm. It's it's usual that we want to keep people at arm's length. <laughs> when you when people then come into your Grithgard, in you you if they are people who don't you don't know or you don't feel comfortable with their energy or or whatever, you want to keep them at arm's length. And if people come into your Grithgard who you know and love and who are in your always, like my uh, you know, my, my life partner is in my always. And so I want to embrace and bring him all the way into my frith guard. So there's this, there's this way of doing boundary setting um, that calls on frith and grith as uh, goddesses and as um, uh, ideology as well. So how can people use these concepts practically? Especially thinking for of a lot of those listeners who probably don't own their own farm. Right. <laughs> yeah, no, this is, this is stuff that, that works. Um, in it, this kind of boundary setting is actually really incredibly practical. So, um, you know, once, once we, so when I, I, I ask the listeners to, to write the word frith and always on their paper and list to the things that are always recommended or always welcome into your, into your life. And they're, 
there aren't really all that many things actually in that always uh, section. Um, it used to be a uh, cultural norm. It started to be this cultural norm where everyone was always expected, expected to hug everybody. And um, that was something that I took out of my frisk guard pretty early on in my boundary setting work because I don't want to always hug somebody. And so I put that in my grist guard. By invitation only, I will hug you. That means we have to have informed consent around hugging. So another thing that used to, when I was a young woman, uh, be in my frith guard was um, uh, critique. People would be like, oh, I saw your show. You know, I really loved it, except for here's what I do differently. Or, hey, I read your thing, but I'd really like you to do this. I would be like, oh, okay. Oh, okay. You know, uh, until finally I'm like, wow. So this is not okay with me. Um, this, I like your work, but, and as soon as I hear, I like your work, but, or, and, I stop people there and I go, thanks for that, liking my work. If you have a critique of some sort, I don't, uh, I only accept critique by invitation. So I invite you to email me. And if I uh, am, you know, if I, if, if your critique is something that I will use, then I'll email you back. Otherwise I won't. And it really stopped people in their tracks and they were like, Oh, you know, I'm like, yeah, I just don't, I don't have time to hear what you would rather do. So do it yourself if you want to do something else, you know? Yeah, absolutely. So there's a real practicality. So if, if the listeners want to just take some time and list the things that they would accept by invitation only, um, they will find some really interesting things around their own boundary setting desires. And then never. What is that? What comes in the never? Never accept. So I never accept um, uh, people who, um, well, there's a lot of things I never accept. So, for example, um, I never accept. Uh, certain uh, swear phrases, certain cursing phrases in my grist guard because those are certain, there are certain phrases that trigger trauma in me. And so when somebody uses the fra a phrase that is in my never, I stop them and I say, so just so you know, um, and this is where, um, the Frigg's hand, which is the other part of the boundary setting and communication tools comes in. This is where I can say, hey, I hear you say this phrase. I understand it's common in your vernacular. I, um, I believe you want to be friends with me. I feel triggered and uncomfortable. I don't want the phrase used in my hearing, and I'm willing to remind you twice about it if it happens again. And for the most part, everybody who I've gone through this with and set boundaries around those things with 
is very conscious about um, how they form their words around me in respect for my boundaries. And so when we uh, express our boundaries to people, for the most part, people usually apologize or change uh, or they remove themselves from us as we are too sensitive or too blah, 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 which is like, whatever, just remove yourself and I will feel better, you know? <laughs> yeah. um, or if they have, sometimes people have to be removed, which is a drastic measure uh, when it needs to be taken. Sometimes if people cannot control themselves in a grithful manner, they have to be removed into and put into the Utgard. Something that happened in Asichu early on was there was this, everyone's either going to be in their, is either frithful yours, frith, 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 with people who you hardly even met before. Uh, and then the minute you offend me, you're Utgard. Now you're outlawed, blah. You know, it's this sort of, um, this kind of a system that was run on a modern concept of false dichotomies of either ors that our ancestors did not have. We had a broad spectrum of what is healthy and unhealthy in the world and we understood that there could be aspects of all things uh, to it bundled together, um, which is why we created Grith in the first place which is um, why we create this sort of thing with like, Griff means, you know, I, I don't have to like you. I don't have to agree with you. I don't have to have you anywhere in, in my frith guard in order to have a communication with you that is clear, honest, and respectful. And that has to be our main goal. Griff is really, truly our main goal. Right. Absolutely. Well, and I think too that um, as we're talking about the Ingard and the Utgard and these concepts that um, they can be fluid too. Yes. And when they're not, when they are rigid, it precludes anybody from uh, learning. Right. So if somebody comes in and says, I, I've been reading about you know, the neo-Nazi um, white supremacist material. And I find a few things in there that I, that I, um, that I have questions about or have sort of agreements about. Um, we can say, okay, in the Grith Guard, we will talk about those pieces. We will educate, I will educate you on those pieces about where they come from in Christian society because they do not come from a pre-Christian concept. So, uh, he, you know, I, as a professional vulva, that's part of my job. Right. Somebody needs to kind of be able to have a communication and, mm -hmm. you know, intercede, I think, or, well, not even necessarily intercede, just like exactly. provide other perspectives. There, there you, you go. Yep. As soon as you just shut people out, and I would also say too, you know, this depends on your personal 
development. So you as a professional vulva have, you know, a duty within the community. Whereas, you know, if somebody were like, I don't know, like a, a black heathen, for example, uh, I would not expect for that to be like one of their duties. <laughs> you know, I wouldn't expect it to be anybody's duty. Right. And, um, you know, we, I, in the, in our guild, um, we have a vulva who is African-American uh, and German. So she gets, we each get to choose what parts of being a vulva we want to do. Right. And so if it's something that she feels she wants to address, that's uh, absolutely her, cho- her choice. And then she's got the back backup of seven other rollers, you know, oh, right. to help. But a person, an individual person, um, you know, doesn't have the, you know, necessarily the, the duty to do such things on behalf of any community. Um, so that kind of also goes into the difference between a person who is carrying the staff for their family of origin and their community, you know, the carrying the staff staff for your family of origin means um, being the one that your family recognizes as healing the urlog of the family system. And that is where it always has to start. Vovastav, that is the primary objective. We work on our own family of origin first. And that's one of the reasons why I uh, ask people to take the Frith and Griff class first, because we can use these tools with our family of origin. Not all of us have uh, parents who we even can talk to or that are still alive or maybe that we even know. But we need to talk about the, our, the urlog that we carry as individuals and within our own family of origin and with our own culture of origin first before we um, can do uh, an impartial holding of other people's urlogs and family of origin and culture of origin issues. Um, yeah, kind of like, so yeah. Yeah. So it's kind of like, um, manage yourself first. Absolutely. Yeah. And then you can, and then you can expand outward. I mean, like, I think that people have a lot of deep healing to do even within themselves, you know? So like, that's like the deepest layer of the frith is like, what is going on within me? And then moving outward to, okay, who is in my always and how, you know, like, how are we relating and how are we healing our urlog together? And then you can begin moving outward. Exactly. Yeah. You know, in Grithgard, everybody needs a, 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 to do the Grithgard piece because even in these quarantine times, we have to go out into society. So part of the Grith for us here in Minnesota is that we have agreed in a griffle way that is respectful of others to wear masks when we go to the store. That's something that is an agreed upon griff contract. Right. So, so we, we need to do all of these pieces, but it is 
only in doing our own self-study and our deep own deep urlog work family of origin culture of origin urlog work that we can begin to heal down our own route to the place where we can come to a broader community in a healed way so that we aren't triggered by anybody's stuff because we've dealt with all those triggers and in that way we can carry this impartiality and uh, sort of an impeccability around serving and i and i people ask me a lot about there's a big difference in norse culture um, compared to a lot of sort of neo-pagan cultures um, where spiritual help is supposed to be uh, in in neo-pagan cultures it's like oh you don't charge for this and you don't charge for ritual and blah blah, blah. and in uh, the, the, from the perspective of a, of a working vulva um, we aren't required to do anything from for anybody else because the bulk of our work is for ourselves and our family of origin and so if somebody uh, which is which is super time consuming <laughs> you know yeah <laughs> anyway, i think about that i'm like oh i have uh two older sisters and two younger sisters and their partners and their their uh, uh my nieces and nephews i have two living parents i have two living uh, aunts i have this huge family of origin that i'm that has recognized me for for decades as being the one who carries the staff of the family i'm the one who does the genealogy along with the aunts you know i'm the one who's visited the home uh home places in norway i'm the one who who carries who talks i'm the one to whom people give those secret stories that hadn't gotten uh, shared broadly in our family due to shame or trauma. So I carry that already for my family and, and, and I have zero interest in helping anyone else with their family of origin stuff unless they are on the road of healing themselves through these methods of all the stuff. And I also think that that kind of highlights an interesting thing where um, people like becoming a vulva is not like the end game in heathenry. Like oh, you, can, yeah. you can choose to become a vulva, but you can still, you know, practice heathenry and not have that be your calling. Right. I mean, a vulva is a completely different sort of thing compared to a githia or godwoman or gothi, um, uh, compared to a law speaker for a kindred, somebody who holds the kindred stories uh, and few the laws or customs of the kindred. Uh, you can um, you can practice. Uh, individually within uh, your own life you can practice you can join a, a kindred or a group um, and become a teacher of things or a, uh, uh, somebody who maybe you know there's lots of different 
things. You can do be a room reader without being a vulva. You can be a, a you know, all these things. There's many, many things. So the thing that differentiates a vulva is that we do all of these things and. Right. Exactly. Um, and I think also, mm, never mind. Uh-huh. Sorry. <laughs> That's all right. I, I know it's like, it's a lot to sort of um, put our brains around and it's very, very different than, you know, it's different than say, for example, a Wiccan track where everybody is meant to be a priestess or priest, you know? Um, That's actually what I was going to say. Yes. It's yeah, very it's different just, from becoming a priestess. Yeah, it is. So a priestess in Norse tradition is a Githya or a Gothi. And, okay. and that is a f- very fine thing to do and to study. And um, there are even ordination programs, like, for example, through the Troth. Uh, our Troth uh, is a national, Troth is a national organization based out of California. And, um, and um, you know, Diana Paxson has been um, sort of one of the focal uh, people who created the troth uh, from the ground up and her work is, is wonderful. And I, I, there's absolutely no reason why people shouldn't, um, you know, practice on whatever level they are feeling called to do. It's just um, that to carry the staff for your family is one, is one thing. And then, to carry it for the broader community is a very big commitment that requires many years of training in boundary setting. And, um, you know, so people, uh, I think a lot of people who've been to Trothmoot or um, different pagan, like Paganacon, Diana Paxson's visited um, and done her, her large uh, spool ceremony or prophecy ceremony, which is, is um, very different than how we do it here in Minnesota, but it, it's been something that she's been doing for many years. And that is, um, uh, but, and that doesn't mean that she would be somebody, well, maybe that, that's not a very good example because she really is somebody who, who could probably do hold this, who can hold a space for staff carrying, uh, for a larger, larger, she is called in her community, uh, her broader community, to to hold the staff for, for um, communication and uh, mediation and those different things. But it isn't necessarily part of the prophecy piece either. Ne- not necessarily. So, yeah, lots of different uh, tweaks to the conversation here. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for uh, talking to me this morning. And um, before we let you go, uh, is there anything else that you wanted to share? Well, I just would encourage everybody to um, go to my website and, uh, you know, read some of the things. I have a, a nice link to what the historical vulva and um, uh, the, you know, the, what, how we have defined it here in the Midwest and, um, 
some lots of links to lots of free, you know, one of the things, um, one of the ways I get out of, of <laughs> maybe um, doing, doing work on a broader level is teaching people to do it for themselves. <laughs> That's like my big goal. I think that probably comes from my Norwegian or my Midwest heritage too. It's like, here's a stick. See what happens when you do this, <laughs> you know? Right. <laughs> and, um, but I have a lot of free resources. And then um, if people are really interested in going deep with this particular style of work, um, you know, the, the birth and growth class and all of the classes on Need Fire Academy are very in-depth uh, with lots of resources attached. Um, and I encourage you to, uh, to go for it. <laughs> yeah, I also encourage our listeners to go for it. I've been taking both your Frith and Grith and your Runes class, and they're fantastic. Thank you so much. All right, Kari. Well, um, thank you again, and I will talk to you again soon. Thanks. I'll look forward to it. All right. Bye-bye. Thank you once again for joining us on the heathen's journey if you would like more information from me or just to work with me uh, you can find me at northernlightswitch.com i also do have a patreon which supports this podcast and that is at patreon.com slash northern you can also follow me on instagram at northern.lights.witch and on twitter at North Light Witch. I hope to talk to you very soon, and until next time, see you later. <laughs>